Thank you for tuning into Stepping Stones of Faith. Stepping Stones of Faith is a ministry of Claytonville United Brethren Church. Our service times are as follows. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship starts at 10.30 a.m. If you would like to join us for any of these services, our address is 106 Elizabeth Street, Claytonville, Illinois, 60926. We hope to see you this morning. All of us cool folks are going to be in Nahum chapter 3. Nahum chapter 3 is page 806 in your red Bible there. If you are, have been here for a couple of weeks, you, we, we understand, we know that Nahum was a sequel book to Jonah. Nahum was the proclamation or the, the, the given um, prophecy of the destruction of Nineveh after they had repented of sin under the king of Jonah's time. They had gotten kind of back to their old ways and God saw fit to destroy them. And the Nahum's prophecy was brought about in this book. So we are going to go to chapter 3 today. And we are going to be talking today about the violence and immortality in, immorality in Nineveh. So starting in verse 1. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and plunder. The prey never departs, the noise of the whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels, galloping horses and rushing chariots. Horsemen charging with flashing sword and glittering spear. Multitude of, of slain, great number of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble on the corpses because, the country, because of the countless harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlots and families through her sorceries. So this is a conversation, this is a, uh, a prophecy or a, a given understanding of what's going on in the hearts and the minds of those in Nineveh. It is a bloody city. It is no longer a mighty city. Nineveh was once a mighty city. It's no longer a mighty city. It's a bloody city full of lies. Full of lies and all of the debauchery and death that it now plagues the streets. In his prophetic vision, Nahum took a tour of the city of Nineveh and observed how ripe it was for judgment. He saw it as a busy city, full of noise of the whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses and of clamoring chariots. Yet it was busy with violence, deception, and idolatry. Does it sound like some of the big cities in our country today? Busy, busy cities, but underneath it's full of lies, deception, and idolatry. A lot of big cities are driven by lies, deception, and idolatry. 
So a lot of these cities that we live in today, that we know today, that have the same spirit of Nineveh, and sometimes we wonder, why has God not, why has God tarried so long? God with Nineveh had enough. God had enough with Nineveh. They had come to know him and they turned away. And God brought judgment. We said last week, we saw last week, that in our own lives, when we follow God and we turn away, that doesn't mean once saved, always saved. That's what we hear a lot of. This story of Nineveh is a depiction of God still passing judgment on those who turn away, on those who choose to live a life that is contrary to God after giving God place in their lives. God can and God does pass judgment upon us when we fail, when we fall, especially when we do that unrepentantly, if that's a word. Not only were the rulers of Assyria terribly cruel, they boasted of their cruelty on monuments that exist in museums to this day. Our, the commentary boys quotes some of these idolatries or some of these boasts. I cut off their heads and formed them into pillars. That's one. Another one, Bubo, son of Bubo, I flayed in the city of Arbella and I spread his skin upon the city wall. I flayed all the chief men who are revolted and I covered the pillar with their skins. Many within the borders of my own land I flayed and I spread their skins upon the walls. I cut off the limbs of the officers, of the royal officers who had rebelled. 3,000 captives I burned with fire. Their corpses I formed into pillars. These are all things written on monuments. Proud of those things. I have flayed people skin and covered it with a wall. That's, they're proud of that. I have cut down, cut off limbs of officers, the royal officers who had rebelled. 3,000 captives burned with fire. These things that are, they're proud of. Why would you be proud of that? That tells us today and in reading this and understanding that they were beyond repentant. They were proud in their sin. They were thinking, boy, look at us. We are, so, we are so advanced. We're so tough. We're so cruel. Nobody will mess with us. But God did. God sees that. God sees through our hearts. Are we that way? Do we boast in the things we've done that are not of God? If we do, God has judgment on the horizon for us. Here's the last one. I made one pillar of the living and another of the dead. I bound their heads to posts round about the city. Boy, we're proud, aren't we? We're cruel, we're, but we're proud. Another part here of this, it says, who sells the nations through her harlots? 
It was bad enough that Nineveh indulged in the sin for herself. It was worse that she led the nations into violence, deception, and idolatry. For this, the judgment of God was coming. See, Nineveh was such a um, mighty city. It had a lot of uh, influence. And because of their uh, idolatry, deception, and sin, it impacted other cities. And so judgment was coming. So we, we, we say that about us today. We have a influence, a circle of influence, right? As we walk with God, we have a circle of influence. Some, sometimes our influence is where we live. Sometimes it's our work. Sometimes it's our, our school for kids. Sometimes it's going and having coffee with others. We have a sphere of influence. And how we portray Jesus Christ in those situations then depicts to us whether judgment is coming or not. Who do we say Jesus is? How do we live our lives? If we live our lives in sin, one thing's gonna happen, two or things are gonna happen. You're talking with someone who is not a believer, and you've befriended them, but then some, some things start to show forth in your character that are not of God because you think you can hide them from everyone around you, but you can't hide them from God. So they begin to come out. The Bible says that behold, behold your sin will find you out. That's why, because we can't hold that in. We can't hide that forever. So then two, one of two things is going to happen. That person you're talking with is going to say, well, that, either say, well, that person's not a Christian because they're acting this way and it's contrary to the Bible. Therefore, I don't want to be a part of that kind of a church. Or they're going to say, well, God is okay with them doing this, so he must be okay with me doing what I'm doing. So I want to be a part of that because I'm comfortable. That's exactly what was happening here with the other nations with Nineveh. They were indulging in their sin and they were bringing other cities down with them. So God had to bring about judgment. A, a uh, commentary by, by Boyce cited this. Thousands of tablets uncovered in the Mesopotamian Valley show abysmal superstition. Hundreds of sorcery incantations had been brought to light. So not only were they sinful, they were also occultish. And they were bringing about these things to other cities. Verse 5 through 7. 5 through 7 says this, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face and I will show the nation your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will throw filth on you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. All who look at you will flee from you and say Nineveh is devastated. Who will lament for her? Where shall I seek comforts for you? I am against you. Do we want God really to say that about us? To look at us and have the mind of, I am against you. 
Josh, I'm against you because of this. R Ralph, I'm against you because of this. Jim, I'm against you because of this. Do we want God to say, I am against you? Romans, in Romans, Paul dealt with this in 2, chapter 2. He said, the, the, blas the blaspheme among the nations comes of the word of God because of you. The word of God is blasphemed among the nations because of you. Because of me, because of you, because of what we do. So this is what Paul was kind of referring to. The word of God was blasphemed. God's word was blasphemed. His, his culture, his word, his blessings was blasphemed among other nations because of Nineveh. Therefore, judgment had to come. Nahum repeated this phrase first mentioned in Nahum 2.13. In the first mention, he emphasized his emphasis was on the military defeat of Nineveh. Here the emphasis, the emphasis is on this, the humbling of the city. God is against Nineveh to humble them. God is against us when we sin to humble us. What do we do when we're humbled before God? What did Nineveh do? They obviously did not do anything because God destroyed Nineveh. They dug their heels into their sin and stood, stood tall and God brought them low. 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Nineveh walked with pride in their sin. And, the, and as a result, the Lord was against them. Do we walk with pride in our sin? today? If we do, God is against us. God is against us if we do. If we walk with pride, God says, I am against you. We're to be clothed with humility. What does it mean to be humble? It's the opposite of pride. Every sin starts with pride. I can do this. God's, God understands and we walk with pride through our sinful behavior because we feel that it is okay because God understands. God does not want us to walk in sin, folks. He wants us to walk in humility, be clothed with humility. Back in those days, the clothing was different than today. They had the undergarment and the outer garment. They had their undergarment, the outer garment. Clothes with it is the outer garment. It covers the, the undergarment. The things that are under, inside of us. Humility covers those things. God, in this context, where they did sacrifices, the sin, the sin was covered by the sacrifice. So he's saying, you're covered in humility. That covering shields you from the from the from the uh, the from from God passing judgment on you. Be covered with humility. I will cast at abominable filth 
upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. Abominable filth. The worst thing you could think of, God says, I'm going to expose that on you. I'll make you vile. Nobody will like you. Nobody will respect you. Make you a spectacle. Everyone will laugh at you. Everyone will not like you. Everyone will despise you. That's what's happening with judgment here. Why do you think when you look in the New Testament where the woman is brought before Jesus and they ask, who, who sinned? You know, or, or she's here and he brings and they bring him to him and she's clothed in there. She's not really clothed in context. But he says, you who is, you who is not sin, without sin cast the first stone. Why do you think they did that? Why do you think they paraded her through the streets? She wasn't really clothed, by the way. She was probably naked. The woman caught in adultery. They didn't say, well, get some clothes on. We're going to bring you somewhere. They didn't do that. They, gave, they grabbed them up in their nakedness and paraded them not through the back streets, through the main streets so everybody could see and look upon her and she was vile and she was a spectacle. That's what God is saying he's going to do here. He's going to make them vile and a spectacle. He's going to put them in front of everyone and he's going to put them and expose their nakedness and their vile. The strength of the word of the Lord almost surprises us here. It will take the idols of Nineveh, abominable filth, the Hebrew word shikwitz, often translated abomination, and throws them back in their face. So he's going to take your sin, our sin, their sin, in his judgment, and throw it back in our face, and everyone's going to see it, and it's going to be made public. And everything that we thought we had will be ripped away. All the credibility, all of the, the uh, clout we have will be ripped away. God will make them vile. The idea behind the Hebrew word for vile, nabal, is that something is made weak, foolish, or contemptible. So look at Nineveh here. Mighty city. So mighty that it is now affecting places around it. And they are falling into idolatry just like Nineveh. So there's power there. There's power in that. And he says, I'm going to make you vile. I'm going to make you weak. So when they thought they were strong, they're now going to be weak. And so, and he said, I'm going to make you weak. I'm going to make you foolish. So in their pride and in their knowledge, they'll be made foolish. They'll be contemptible. Contemptible. No one will view them as mighty anymore. They will be contemptible. Nineveh walked high on their pride, but would certainly be brought low with no one to comfort them. No one will be there. It's kind of what happens, isn't it? When, when someone who is 
when someone betrays us or someone we, we find out someone was different than what they portrayed to us, do we have any sympathy for them when they're, when they're in problems, when they're in judgment? No. You brought it on yourself. You made your bed lie in it. Remember those sayings? We used to say that all the time. There's no comfort for them and no comfort for us. This was literally fulfilled in the ancient Greek historian Diodorus Siculus who wrote of the destruction of Nineveh. So great was the multitude of, of the slain that the flowing stream mingled with their blood, changing its color for a considerable distance. So the judgment of God brought about such a destruction that the Ninevites' blood mingled with the water for considerable distance. They plundered the spoil of the city a quantity beyond counting. Quantity beyond counting. A lot going on there. Adam Clark wrote this, writing before the discovery of the ruins of Nineveh in 1840, quotes an, quotes an author commenting on the disappearance of the city. What, pro what probability was there that the capital city of a great kingdom, a city which was 60 miles in compass, a city which contained so many thousand inhabitants, a city which had walls 100 feet high, and yet was so totally was it destroyed that the place is hardly known where it was situated. Great as it was formerly, so little of it remaining, that authors are not agreed even about this, about its situation. So this mighty city, 100 feet high walls, thousands of people who had influence in the area and surrounding areas, now no one knows really where it is or the situation. So God brought it low. God brought it low. And God destroyed them utterly destroyed them. And are we so bold and so arrogant to think that won't happen to us? We're okay in our sin. God understands Jesus came and died for our sin, therefore we can live the way we want. We cannot do that. We cannot act that way. Judgment is still there. Verses 8 through 11. Are you better than the Thebes? that sat by the Nile with water around her, whose rampart was the sea and whose wall was the water. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was without limit. Put and Libya were her helpers, yet she went into exile. She went into captivity. Her young children were dashed into pieces. And at, and at the head of every street, they cast lots for her honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will go into hiding. You will seek refuge from the enemy. 
It's talking about Amnon here, or the Thebes, Abnon in other translations. Are you better than Noamnon? Noamnon is the Hebrew name of the Egyptian city of Thebes. Thebes was another wealthy, mighty city that was destroyed completely. The Assyrians in Nineveh knew this well because it, it was their armies that destroyed Thebes. Nahum said, remember what you did to Noamnon. The same is coming for you. So he's using, God is using their memory. Look what you did to Thebes. Look what you did to Noamnon. That's going to happen to you because of your sin, because of your idolatry, because of your uh, contemptible behavior. We are like the Ninevites. We see empires and nations judged in our own day and in history. Just like the Assyrians, the Assyrians saw Thebes destroyed, yet we, like the Ninevites, somehow think that we will be spared despite our sinful arrogance <coughs> and rebellion. <coughs> we think we'll be spared. Judgment isn't for us because we're under grace. They say, well, a lot of people say that. Well, they're under the law, we're under grace. So therefore, judgment can't come. Judgment will come. You know why? Because Christ is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He is a just God. He is a sovereign God. So judgment does come. Verse 12. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe figs. They are, if they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There, are fi there the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like the locusts. Multiply yourselves like the locusts. Multiply like the grasshopper. Your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. As easily... As ripe fruit falls from the shaken tree, so would the strongholds. So they're not going to hold. All the strongholds, all the pride, all of the arrogance, all of the sin, whatever they do to prepare, it's not going to hold. It says, so would the strongholds of, the Nineveh, of Nineveh fall before the judgment of God. We often have our strongholds of sin and pride that put great confidence, that we put great confidence in, but they are, too, they are ready to be shaken and fall to the ground. 
We have no defenses against God when we are in sin. We have no defenses of God in God when we have judgment upon our midst, upon our horizon. We have no, no strongholds. We cannot prepare. God will judge. Archaeologists document the burning of Nineveh. The excavators of Nineveh have remarked on the large deposits of ash, which are evidence of the gigantic conflagration. God brought judgment. God brought judgment to Nineveh. Draw your water for the siege. Nahum practically mocked the people of Nineveh, cheering them on to do their best as they could in light of what was coming. They could prepare as many provisions and, and people they pleased, but it would all come to nothing against the judgment of God. You can prepare all you want. That's one thing that I don't, I don't understand about this time that we live in where everyone's saying, you know, buy the prepper food, you know, get the food that you can live, uh, the MREs you can buy, you know, that, that lasts for years and years and years because there's going to be judgment coming. Yes, there is judgment coming and we cannot prepare enough. We will not be prepared as much as we try to prepare for the judgment of God. Will God judge America? Absolutely. America is a sinful nation. There are pockets of sin, sinless, not sinless, but there are pockets of devout Christians who follow Christ. But as a nation, as a whole, we are a sinful nation. Do we think that God is going to let us slip by? He won't. And as much as we prepare for doomsday preparation, they call it, we're not going to be prepared enough. God is going to pass judgment upon us. Verse 16 to the end of the chapter. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your leaders are like grasshoppers. Your commanders like swarms of locusts which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they fly away, and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles lie in the dust. Your people are scattered in the on the mountains, and no one gathers them. There is no healing for your injury. Your wound is grievous. All who hear news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness continually passed? So imagine that. All who hear of the news about you clap their hands over you. He's getting destroyed. Yay! About time he got it. People rejoice at their destruction. Each of these classes of leaders were numerous in Nineveh. 
the merchants, the commanders, the generals, the shepherds, and the nobles. But they would all be ineffective and come to nothing in the day of judgment, despite their numbers. Still, your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. The sinful and rebellious leadership of Nineveh would be powerless against the judgment of God. Nineveh. Now think about that. We are, we are little, old, little old us. They had merchants, commanders, generals, and shepherds, and nobles. Powerful people, yet they could not stand at the judgment of God. So what makes us think we, we can stand and survive the judgment of God? What makes us think that? We live in our lives of, of doing what we want, thinking what we want, saying what we want. God understands. God sees it. God knows. I've been through this. I went through this. I did this. So I have the right to do this. Do you think God is going to excuse that? Nope. And we have nothing we can do about it. We can't prepare. We can't be, we can't be uh, thinking we're mightier than we are because he's going to bring us low. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. Nineveh ended his prophecy with a view of the, of the righteous and their trump, triumph over the unrighteous. This is something that the people of God need to be often reminded of because it often goes against present appearances. So the righteous people that are, or those that are going to bring judgment upon Nineveh are going to be happy about their judgment. They're going to be happy what happens to them because they are brought low. Their pride has destroyed them. Their indignation has destroyed them. We are no different. We are no different in our life. We must turn to God. We must ask for forgiveness. Because Nineveh was known, even renowned, for its violence and cruelty, no wonder Nahum sees the nations applauding when the city of, is judged and destroyed. Here they are. They have been cruel. They have been uh, in, indignant. They have been rebellious. They have killed people. We, we saw on the, the things that they've done, the inscriptions on stones. Who wouldn't applaud the destruction of that? So they're going to be utterly destroyed they cannot prepare. God will bring them to a place of destruction. And those that they, are, that they have hurt or those that they have caused issues with will be applauding that destruction. In Psalm 73, Asaph dealt with the same problem. It seemed to him that the wicked constantly prospered and lived at ease. It troubled him so much that he doubted his own walk with God until I, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terror. Psalms 73, 17 through 19. Asaph dealt his own doubted his own walk with God because God he felt that God was being 
allowing the wicked to prosper. But judgment will come. For Nahum, Asaph, and for us today, we take comfort in knowing that the judgments of the Lord are faithful and true. We don't need an envy. We don't need to envy the unrighteous to seek vengeance against them ourselves. Nahum and Asaph each show us that God is more than able to take care of them and us, each according to his promise. So we talk about, we talk about promises. Promises in the Bible. We talk about all the good promises, you know. Um, when we go to heaven, he'll wipe away every tear and there'll be no more death and there'll be no more pain and all those. That's a promise. But there's also a promise of destruction and judgment if we don't follow. We tend to discard the bad promises or the promises we don't like. We tend to discard those. But God says judgment will come if you don't follow. Judgment will come if we don't walk with God. We must walk with God. We must walk in a way that compels others to come to know him. Not in a way that makes people think, well, I don't want to be a part of that church or I don't want to be a Christian. Or in another way, well, if God's okay with them acting like that, he must be okay with me. I don't need to do anything else. I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. Wrong. If we are sinful in front of others and say we're a Christian and that sinful behavior is witnessed and people say, well, I must be okay because they can do that and they're okay with God, then we're wrong and judgment will come. Judgment will come. So what is our assignment for this week? To search our hearts. Are we, as individuals, and as a collective body, harboring sin that we think is okay? Believe me, it will come to light. God will bring it to light. And judgment will come. Believe me on that. Search our hearts this week. If there's things we need to repent of, repent of them. Ask God to forgive you and walk with him in a new way. Walk with him in a new light that he would lift you up and bring others to himself. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with you. If we are harboring sin, Father, I pray that you would help us to repent, that you would help us to walk in a different way with you. Help us, Father, to not incur judgment, but to incur mercy and grace. Lord, help us to repent. Father, I pray you would bless us today. Bless those that are in our midst today with a wonderful day. Bless the food that we'll be partaking in. Lord, minister to us in this time we have together. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to Stepping Stones of Faith. I pray that you find value in this content. You can also find an audio podcast of this program on all the major podcasting platforms. Just type Stepping Stones of Faith into the podcast search bar. Once again, I'm Pastor Josh. Thank you for joining me today.